0: This may sound strange, but to crime scene investigators, there's something peaceful about working with the dead. No matter how a victim's life ended, they all have a story to tell, if somebody's willing to listen. For more than 30 years, Howard Ryan has been that guy, most of that time as a state police crime scene investigator. Today, he is a crime scene reconstruction consultant an expert witness, and he teaches state-of-the-art forensic techniques to law enforcement agencies worldwide. This podcast series will clear the air on what really happens in the world of forensic investigations. It's not like what you see on TV. So hold on tight as we take you on a walkthrough of some gruesome crime scenes and controversial cases, many of which are too brutal for most people to imagine, and sometimes even for the experts. Join Howard Ryan and his fellow crime scene experts, From around the world for a first-hand, no-nonsense, ringside seat as they take you Under the Yellow Tape. Hey, good morning, everyone, and uh, I'd like to welcome
1: you back to Under the Yellow Tape. Today, we're going to do the third part of a three-part series that we've been doing on current cases that have drawn an incredible amount of media attention throughout the United States, And have also resulted in um, some actual peaceful protests scarred by even more rioting and a tremendous amount of public and private property damages. And uh, one of the things we've been discussing, not only diving into the case itself, is some of the reasons why. And, And quite honestly, it's media coverage. Media coverage is... Getting it out there in various forms. It's giving people a story. Maybe not the story, but a story or a spin of the story of the event that occurred. And um I think it's important to to talk about a few of these things and maybe open some eyes as to uh, you know, shake yourself with that sheep mentality and don't just follow along. Don't just believe everything the media says because it's some of it's partial truth, some of it's not truth at all. And some of it is truth. But uh, you got to be careful because uh, you're going to be making your own opinions based oftentimes on what they tell you. And we are in a day and age when they are not really, and again, this is just my opinion, but I don't really think they're concerned with uh, 100% fact and definitely not concerned with objectivity these days. What we're going to do today is talk about a police-involved shooting. It was in the city of Atlanta. On June 12th of 2020. And in this event, a young man by the name of Rayshard Brooks was killed. The Atlanta City Police Department was involved. And there was a call that they answered. Uh, which resulted in the death of Rayshard Brooks. Now as we go through this, the reason I'm picking this case. Okay. The first one we did was Ahmad Arbery. It was a civilian shooting. Second one we did was George Floyd. It was an in-custody death. This one is an actual police-involved shooting. And I think it's kind of important that we look at this one and everything that went along with it, aside from the media coverage, which we'll get into quite, quite a bit. But uh, the aftermath. The aftermath was, you know, oh, it's just another... I mean, I'll just say it. They, they come right out and say it's just another black man that was killed by police. Well, let's get into the story a little bit and, and walk through it. There's a twist at the a back side of this, and the twist is the Fulton County, Georgia, District Attorney's Office. There's something that occurred in this case that you need to know about. It's something that the media has mentioned but hasn't really tore into. They haven't really dove into this and exploited this, and I'll give you some of the reasons why I think that may be the case. So let's start off with what happened. Again, it was June 12th. Rayshard Brooks is a 27-year-old man, and he was fatally shot by Atlanta police. The officer involved in the shooting aspect of this was a a police officer by the name of Garrett Rolfe. There's another officer, Devin Brosnan, involved. Now, Brosnan is the officer that is called. This is, again, this is a call for service. This is not a targeted engagement police officer didn't just look and seek out Rayshard Brooks. There's a call for service. And what the call for service was, was kind of, I don't want to say funny, but it, it's it's something that police uh, officers that have done this job for a long time, you're going to see this from time to time. Mr. Brooks is in his car and he falls asleep. In line at a drive through at a Wendy's fast food restaurant. I guess either Wendy's or some of the people in line who were waiting to place their order, they got a little upset because he's not moving. And whether it was a concern for his well-being or, hey, get the guy out of our way type thing, they called. So Atlanta police respond. They show up. Devin Brosnan is the officer that, that arrives. He knocks on the window, and he's trying to wake up Mr. Brooks, who is, <laughs> seems, to be, seems to be peacefully asleep. As the district attorney claims later, which we'll get into, uh, I want I want to talk about that, that description. But he's uh, he's out, he's out like a light in his car. So Brosnan bangs on the window a few times and finally gets him to come awake, you know, come to and get awake. And he has a conversation with Mister Brooks, and he he realizes, okay, I got to get him out of the line here because we're right in the way, everybody's way. So he asks Mister Brooks, Hey, do me a favor, pull your car right over here, about ten or fifteen feet away to a parking space which he does, he complies, and as he's speaking to him, uh, it becomes obvious that he detects an odor of alcohol because what he does is he gets on the radio and he asks if there is any DUI-certified officers in the area that could respond to assist. A few minutes later, Garrett Rolfe arrives. Now I'm going to go through the timeline of this. Because it's really important, and I'm going to say that because the DA made an issue of the timeline and the amount of time. I'm going to do the same thing, but I think I'm going to do it from a little bit more objective point of view and give you a little different view of why the time is important here. Okay, so Brosnan shows up at Wendy's and he finds him asleep at 10.42 p.m. 10.42 and 14 seconds. This is all from security cameras and body cams, the timestamps. He has his conversation, and he asks for the assist. Rolf arrives and actually has his first conversation with Mr. Brooks at 10.57. They ask him to step from the vehicle. Rolf pats down Mr. Brooks at 11.03. So 10.57 is his first actual engagement with Rayshard Brooks, three minutes before 11. Three minutes after, he has him standing outside with him, and he pats him down for officer safety, make sure he has no weapons or anything like that. There's a series of questions and field sobriety tests, motor function tests. He's going he's gonna to have him do some physical tests to try to ascertain whether or not he's been affected by alcohol. He asks him to submit to a preliminary breath test in the field. Again, Brooks complies. He says, well, oh, you know, I think his words were, I don't want to, you know, refuse anybody. So yeah, I'll do it. So he takes the test and he fails. In Georgia, the legal limit for DUI is 0.08%. On the field preliminary test, there's reports that he was 0.108. So He's a little above but he's above. That's at 11.22. He fails the test at 11.22. So at 10.57, he's, they, they first begin to speak. At 11.03, there's a pad time. At 11.22, there is a failed breath test. That's 25 minutes. That's not a long time. The Fulton County DA, later on in a press conference, kept saying 40 41 or 42 minutes or something to that effect. Well, that was when Brosnan first found him asleep in the car. When Rolf gets there and actually starts to administer the field sobriety tests, you can see he does some balance tests. He does horizontal gaze nystagmus. And finally, it ends with a pre- preliminary breath test. So that's 25 minutes. That's not that long to have a conversation to find out what you need to find out. And then to actually do these tests to see how they are and observe them and critique the test. Followed by the field sobriety test. 25 minutes. At the end of that, Rolf says to Brooks, I think you've had too much to drink to drive. I need you to put your hands behind your back. And as he's saying that, he takes his handcuffs out. That's important because everybody knows what that means, right? You're getting arrested. The district attorney makes an issue of that as well later, which we'll talk about. So. As Officer Rolf attempts to handcuff Mr. Brooks, Rayshard Brooks physically resists. What ends up happening there in, in a minute or two after is a violent struggle on the ground. It goes to the ground, Rosnan gets involved, and they're trying to subdue Rayshard Brooks. Not once in this violent struggle on the ground... Do you see any wild punches thrown by an officer or a kick or anything like that? They're simply trying to get him handcuffed. Now, what they do, what Brosnan does is he tries to drive stun the lower leg of Rayshard Brooks in a form of pain compliance to try to get him to submit, which he does not. What Brooks does is he reaches for the taser. Now, I'm going to go through some Georgia codes because I think they're important that you understand what they mean. First of all, I don't really care what state you live in. Remember this, you are required by law to peacefully submit to a lawful arrest. Let me say that again. You're required by law to peacefully submit to a lawful arrest. Nowhere in any law does it say you have the right to violently resist. So right there, in addition to the DUI, immediately, what the... The predicate of the next part was here. Rayshard Brooks physically resisted. He wanted to, to fight and get away. And under Georgia Code, Title 16, 161024, uh, obstructing or hindering law enforcement officers. Whoever knowingly and willfully resists, obstructs, or opposes any law enforcement officer, prison guard, jailer, blah, 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 um, serving person to Article 6 or a conservation ranger. Anybody who physically or willfully, knowingly or willfully resists, obstructs, or opposes any law enforcement office, officer from doing his or her official duties by offering or doing violence to the person of such officer or legally authorized person shall be guilty of a felony. So we just went to the ground. Okay. Brosnan, Rolfe, and Brooks went to the ground. Felony number one resisting arrest. They are trying to subdue him. By all accounts, this is a DUI arrest, folks. This is a motor vehicle violation. You have to start asking yourself why. Well, the obvious answer is going to be alcohol. Maybe the alcohol is clouding his thought process. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't want other trouble. And we'll get into that. He has a criminal history past, which I normally don't bring up on these episodes. But I think it plays into this because it might go to his frame of mind, meaning his parole may get violated. He, on probation or whatever, he could go back to jail. So that could be, I bring that up simply because that could be a factor in his decision making. So they fight on the ground. And if you watch this video, one of the interesting things you're going to see is the strength of Rayshard Brooks. Whether he's in a panic mode, anger mode, or whatever it may be, when he gets a hold of that taser with what looks to be his left hand, he doesn't let go. That's not an easy thing. You know, one-handed to just grab a hold of that thing and, and with the other officer pulling, pulling away to try to maintain control, who has a better grip at that point. But he flips Devlin over. He rolls, in, like almost like an alligator, he rolls. And, and Devlin goes with him, trying to maintain control of the taser. As the, tr- as the struggle continues, as the fight goes on, he gets control of the taser. And as he's standing up, he's swinging and he punches Officer Rolf. Now, we've now legally transitioned from resisting arrest, which is a felony, into aggravated assault. (laughs) I chuckle because wait till you hear what the district attorney had to say about that. Again, Georgia Code, Title 16, Chapter 5, Article 2, um, 16.521, 16.521, Aggravated Assault. A person commits the offense of aggravated assault when he or she assaults Subsection C, one, a person who knowingly commits the offense of aggravated assault upon a public safety officer while he or she is engaged in or on account of the performance of his or her official duties. There's an another subsection that says, when a su- such assault occurs by the discharge of a firearm, that's additional. So that may be another account. So we have the punch is one. Now, when they discharge a firearm, which we're going to get into here in a minute, that is additional. So there's, there's more felonies. So he's racking up the felonies as this is going on. Now this is not a long process. This is all going on inside of a minute or two, the actual fight part of it. So as he rolls Devlin over, he gains control of the taser. Under Georgia code, title 16 again, 161033, removal or attempted removal of a weapon from a public official. Very important very important. It's going to come into play a couple times during this. For the purposes of this code section, under subsection A, the term firearm shall include stun guns and tasers. Subsection B, it shall be unlawful for any person knowingly to remove or attempt to remove a firearm, chemical spray, or baton from the possession of another person if, one, the person is lawfully acting within the course and scope of employment, and the person has Knowledge or reason to know that the other person is employed as a peace officer, as defined in Code Section 3582. So there's another felony. So Ray Shard is way ahead on the scoreboard here. He resists arrest, felony. He strikes the officer, felony. He attempts to remove the weapon and does, felony. And as he breaks free, and swings at Rolf. he decides to run. Notice what I said. He decides to run. That's a decision that he made. That's very important. When the charging points normally come, in any case, you have to constantly look at what applies. So there's there's other Georgia codes that he also can be charged with, right? And what happens next is where this next one comes in. As he runs... Rolf runs after him, immediately gives chase. They don't get very far. They're still in the parking lot, just a few parking spaces down from where it all began. And Rayshard Brooks turns back towards Rolf. He raises the taser at Rolf and fires it. It's pretty clear on the video. I don't really believe it's a matter in dispute. He fires the taser at the police officer. Now, under Georgia Code, 1611 possession of a firearm or knife during the commission or attempt to commit certain crimes. Again, subsection A. For the purpose of this code section, the term firearm, again, shall include stun guns and tasers. Any person who shall have or within arm's reach of his or her person a firearm or a knife having a blade of three inches or more in length, during the commission of or attempt to commit one, any crime against or involving the person of, of another. So now he uses the weapon against Rolf. He fires it. Major felony. He is racking him up. He's putting, And if this thing were to end in an arrest, he's going away for a long time. What ends up happening is, during this brief foot pursuit, Rolf fires his taser. Before, actually, it looks like he fires the taser before Brooks does. And as Brooks fires the taser, Rolf transitions. It's kind of what you're taught to do. We do transition drills. He transitions from the taser to his sidearm, his pistol. As he does so, he raises the pistol. He fires three rounds, striking Brooks. Brooks goes down right there in the parking lot. Um... Now the major question in this whole thing hasn't been any of the things I just talked about. the The laundry list of felonies committed by Rayshard Brooks, and I'm going to dive into that with the statements of the district attorney in a little bit. But let's let's just look. Take a, everybody, take a second and look at the scoreboard here. Mr. Brooks, like I said, has racked up a laundry list of felonies prior to the end the shooting. Now, deadly force. Deadly force is something. And man, I, you know, I'm going to say this, and some of you are not going to believe me. This is not something that any police officer wants to do. I'm going to tell you, um, it, there's a couple reasons why. One is just the human being factor. Police officers take this job to mostly help people and do the right thing. You know, some of them get a little crazy once in a while, and get a little rambunctious, but those, those Those times are very few and far between. And the use of a firearm on somebody is extreme. It's an extreme act. It's the final act. It's when you're pushed to the end. So the use of deadly force is not something they want. But here's the real reason why I think it is the last resort. And I give you this bit of information or my opinion because... This is what I do for a living. We do a lot of police-involved shooting investigations. It's what we call, and this is just a term we came up with, but the barometric pressure. It's not the incident necessarily itself. It's not the threat of another human being trying to hurt or kill you. That's a big deal, obviously. And your ultimate reaction is to defend yourself. A lot of that is human nature. You're going to defend yourself. And you're backed by the law. You're acting lawfully in that moment. The barometric pressure is everything that comes after it. <clears throat> and if you don't think it's a big deal, ask anybody that's been involved in a shooting. Whether the pressure of the instant of the moment of the, of the shooting, which I, again, is usually an instant. And even if it lasts for 10, 15 seconds, it still seems like an instant in their head. Oftentimes, officers don't even remember a lot of it when asked right afterwards. But it's the public scrutiny. It's the, the, um, investigation that follows. It's the pressure of your agency, which I'm going to tell you will historically handle it poorly. Overwhelming number of times an agency handles it worse than they could. Let's put it that way. They they don't always throw a ton of support behind their officer because So many of these people want to save the agency first and they kind of leave the guy out or the girl out to dry. That's why in recent times you've had, well, we don't take a statement from the officer for either 24 hours or 48 hours, usually two sleep cycles because it's a traumatic incident and these are not criminals. So in this case, you know, there was a tremendous amount of what we call barometric pressure. That like kind of it's like it's like the real barometric pressure in a way. It's that atmospheric pressure. It pushes down on you. That's kind of why we use that term as a as a uh, an analogy. It's it's everything comes down on you afterwards. You've handled yourself. You've done what you think you needed to do during the event itself. You've defended yourself or you've defended others. But this pressure from outside media, uh, administration, district attorneys, investigations, people are going to sue it just it's can be overwhelming and it it causes it has caused many officers to just quit i'm not going to ever do this again and i think it's important that everybody knows that so it's not something where you know you got a notch in your gun belt or anything like that that's ridiculous they don't want to do this they'll do it if they have to like happened here but they don't want to do this this was a routine DUI arrest that should have ended in Rayshard brooks getting a ticket getting a fine losing his license whatever the you know end result would have be been under georgia law there but it didn't what what authorizes in georgia a police officer to use deadly force when when necessary again it's georgia code 17420 authorization of arrests with and without warrants general use and use of deadly force it is again a last resort sheriffs Subsection B, sheriffs and peace officers who are appointed or employed in conformity with Chapter 8 of Title 35 may use deadly force to apprehend a, suspect, a suspected felon only when the officer reasonably believes that the suspect possesses a deadly weapon or any object, device, or instrument which, when used offensively, against a person is likely or actually does result in serious bodily injury when the officer reasonably believes that the suspect poses an immediate threat of physical violence to the officers or others, or when there is probable cause to believe that the suspect has committed a crime involving the infliction or threatened infliction of serious physical harm. If you go back in what I just read, there's a couple things I want to I want you to pay attention to. A suspected felon. We just went through the list of felonies. Now, again, he's not a convicted felon on these yet, but possesses a deadly weapon or any object, device, or instrument which when used offensively. Offensively. Here's the thing. Rayshard Brooks doesn't have the legal right to defend himself at that point. He's under arrest. I want to stop right there for a second and talk about under arrest arrest. There are people out there that believe, well, you know, you didn't quite get him under arrest. They had this idea in their head that under arrest is contingent upon the successful handcuffing of an individual. Once you're advised you're under arrest and, and the DA makes an issue of, well, he never actually said and uttered those words. Okay. But once you are advised you're under arrest or put your hands behind your back, you're getting handcuffed and it, it's over. You are under arrest. Arrest. This is not a game, and everybody needs to understand this is not a game. It doesn't. It's not contingent on. Well, yeah, I'm only under arrest if you can handcuff me. If we can fight and I can win, I'm technically not under arrest. No, that's wrong. You are under arrest once you've been advised. Normally, you're not read your rights until you are handcuffed, and the reason why is just for this reason. I want to get into that too. So people say, well, you didn't, you didn't uh, instruct him before you attempted to handcuff him. That's called tactical smarts. You get the cuffs on and then you explain. Because generally when you explain the future legal demise of an individual's life, that's when they tend to lose their mind if they're going to. In this particular case, Rachel Brooks decided to do it when they went to handcuff him. But there's a reason why you don't sit there and go, okay, sir, we're going to place you under arrest and blah, blah, blah. Now I need you to do this and do that. Sometimes people are like, "Uh, hell no, I'm not going to do that. And then you have a fight. But if you can quickly get him cuffed, and then you can explain everything. You then have the tactical advantage. And at the end of the day, it's all about you going home in one piece. You're the one of the clear mind in this in this uh, in this case. Now, in addition to what I just read you under seventeen four twenty in subsection D, it says no law enforcement agency of this state or of any political subdivision of this state shall adopt or promulgate any rule regulation or policy which prohibits a peace officer from using that degree of force to apprehend a suspected felon, which is allowed by the statutory uh, and case law of this state. It's interesting. So it's going to be an interpretation of the use of deadly force by the district attorney. Well, he can't change the rules. They're law. He is an officer of the court. He has to abide by the law, just like the police do, just like the judges do, just like everybody in the system does. You have to abide by the law. He makes some pretty crazy statements later on, which we're going to talk about, and some of you aren't going to believe it. So now, I want to go through a little bit more of that timeline that we started with in the beginning, because I think it's important to note. I watched a video, and one of the things the DA says is that the treatment of Rayshard Brooks after he was shot... Uh, was in question. They said one of them kicked him, one of them stood on him. I watched the video. I did not see that. Um, I'm not sure what they slowed down and saw or what they interpreted. I personally did not really see that. Now, remember what I said earlier was 25 minutes from Rolf's initial engagement. Hey, Mr. Brooks, how are you? I'm so-and-so. I'm Officer Rolf with the Atlanta Police Department. He gives him his introduction. 25 minutes to the beginning of the fight. So... The, the actual chase and foot chase in the shooting is, is literally seconds, seconds. Now, from the standpoint of an investigator, a shooting incident investigator, which is what we do, I look at a lot of things in this video. And one of the things that I saw in the video, which I would have to clarify, but I, I believe I see it in the video clearly, is as soon as Brooks goes down or Rolf holsters the weapon, I look at that as weapon discipline. That's, he's got, he got him. He hit him. He went down. He holsters the weapon. He runs over to him. Now, they're saying, yeah, but they didn't do any first aid. Okay. This is not Hollywood, folks. <laughs> this is nothing like that. This is reality. When you are in a use of force situation where you fire your weapon, you got to understand your heart rate is just cranked up. This just happened. This is a major league incident for somebody, obviously for the person that shot, but it's also, and no, nobody ever pays attention to this, also, also for the officer that fired the shot. This is a, a career-changing event, potentially. I mean, look what happened here. We'll talk more about it, but this was an event that rocked Rolf's world. So... They're saying, well, you didn't immediately do it. Well, again, this isn't Hollywood. They took a minute, maybe, or, or, or 30 seconds a minute. They had to get their wits about them. That happens. That's that's normal. That's I'm not defending Rolf in this. I'm just saying, look, I've done a lot of these, and there's always that moment after where they're looking around going, Holy shit, what just happened? It just Jesus, this really just happened. We just shot him. And they kind of collect their thoughts. Very normal. It happens quite a bit. Now Within one minute, actually, within uh, 30 seconds, Rolf runs back to his car, and he gets a medical bag. And he's back at the car, and he digs out the medical bag, I guess. And uh, I don't know whether he makes a radio transmission asking for an ambulance or whether Brosnan does, but they ask for an ambulance almost right away. Rolf then runs back with the bag to Brooks, where they kneel down, you can hear them talking on the radio to advise the ambulance, which is en route, that CPR is in progress. They are trying now to save his life. So when later on they're accused of not doing anything and acting with a malignant heart and complete indifference to the fact that they just shot him, I don't see it. I just don't see it. Um, The ambulance then arrives uh, within a few minutes, and he is transported. He later dies at the hospital. Now, three gunshots were fired, and this is an issue. And I'm going to try to clear this issue up. He's hit once in the buttocks, once in the back, and the third shot missed and struck a car. And it struck, I believe, a car with people in it that were in the drive-through line. We're ready to get a ready to get their drive-through Wendy's. So, DA makes a big issue of that. And let's just talk about shooting in the back because it's a hot button issue. Everywhere you go, somebody was shot in the back, right? Hands up, don't shoot, shot in the back, this, that, the other thing. All right, I'm going to say something that may shock some of you. It is not illegal to shoot somebody in the back. I'll just let that wash over you for a second. The legality and the questions arise from whether or not you're allowed to shoot at all. It's not where you hit the person necessarily it's whether the use of deadly force is warranted and justified and needed if it is it doesn't really matter where you hit them. i'll just say it now if you're sitting here squinting going oh, i don't know man well this is a, this is a textbook case for this one thing we teach in the shooting reconstruction classes is this always remember that shootings are almost never static There are dynamic events. There's a tremendous amount of movement. Guns come out, people move, they run, they hide, they whatever. And with that comes body movement. When I say dynamics, everybody's moving, twisting, turning, running, jumping, hiding, whatever it may be, it's happening. And it's happening very quickly. So if you watch the video and you see Rayshard Brooks running, he turns back and fires. During that whole time, his back is presented to Rolf. Now, when we piece together shootings, we always tell officers, look, remember, when it happens, always remember, the target, which is the target's surface, the area that's hit, wherever, the arm, the leg, the back, the chest, it doesn't matter. It must present itself to the muzzle, and the muzzle must present itself to the target. The bullet is fired, and it's connecting two points, and it happens almost instantly. So when you say uh, when you say, um, Rayshard Brooks was shot in the back, I'm not surprised by that. He never really turned all the way around. He turned just enough to fire a taser at the officer. Now the flight path or the angle of the bullet, I don't even really make a big deal of that in this case. It's not, it might be slightly laterally. It might be all the way, you know, straight back to front. And there's a lot of people that want to make an issue of that. I'm telling you right now, that's not an issue here. Not in this case. And not in most cases. He never presented anything else but his back. Whether it's at an angle or whether it's squared up. Remember, dynamic movement. Turns, fires the taser. Maybe he turned quickly back. In that transition time that Ralph went from his taser to his pistol, he may have turned back. And people say, yeah, but that's what he should have stopped. No, 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 no. There is a credible threat. That has engaged him. And that is something that we all have to accept. Um, when, when we look at some of these shootings, there is some very interesting, uh, you know, kind of things that we, we bring up and we talk about. And um, remember before when I said it was his decision. It was, it was Brooke's decision to do all these things. Okay. So in the video of the shooting, we see what is recognized as what we call the three stages of information processing as it relates to the individual's action, a reaction to a stimulus. Now I want to go through these three and I want to present them from the standpoint of both Rayshard Brooks and, and, uh, Garrett Rolfe, Officer Rolfe. So these three stages of information processing, this is just a human nature thing. One is the stimulus identification, the perception so in this case, Brooks realized he was being arrested for DUI. Now this is an, what I'm giving you now is like an investigator's look at this. Brooks realized he was being arrested for DUI. The handcuffs were out; they were going on his wrist. He was having none of it. After the extensive conversation, field sobriety test, and a preliminary field breath test, Elena PDs began to handcuff him. So now you got to ask his perception at this point. Why would this upset Rayshard Brooks? I brought it up a little bit before. One could have been the alcohol, just an irrational reaction to the alcohol. But whose fault is that? It sure as hell isn't Rolf's fault. If if Rayshard Brooks is intoxicated to the point where he's not thinking clearly, that's on him. That's not on the officer. Second thing, parole violation, possible return to prison. He had some criminal histories cruelty to a child, some other domestic incidents. He went in, he was out. He may have been running the idea through his head that I'm not going back to prison. That's not an uncommon uh, thought process for people that have been convicted and, and, and imprisoned for violent crimes, right? So whatever that is, that's his perception, his stimulus identification. He identified that as something he was not going to agree with or, or you know, cooperate with. I said cooperate with because that term comes back later too. Two, second one, the response selection. Cognition, right? He makes a conscious decision, whether it's intoxicated or not, it's his decision. He owns it. Ray Shard Brooks owns his decision to physically resist. And to ultimately fight. He made another one in there. When he gets drive stunned in the leg, drive stun is when they press the muzzle of the taser in and they can shock you in one spe- spe- uh, specific spot. He makes a decision to grab it. So where first is his, his response selection is to fight, resist, resist the arrest. Second one is to grab that taser, the, the thing that just stung his leg. His, again, that selection is his. Now, the third one is the response execution. So one is the decision, I'm not going to allow them to do this. The second one is the motor function. I'm going to physically resist. And he does this several times here. He physically resists both the officers, first by refusing to submit, then by physically assaulting them. He then attempts to gain control of the taser and ultimately takes possession of it. This is all, all of this that I'm saying right now is in the response execution. He physically breaks free from the officers and begins to run with the taser in his hand. He is now armed, folks. He has what, under Georgia law, is considered a firearm. Within seconds, Brooks makes the decision, again, the decision, response execution, to turn towards the officer while running, raise the firearm, the taser, aim it in the direction of Ralph, and fire it at him. There's no getting around this. He fires it at him. In the press conference that this DA gave, he even admits he fires it at him, which blew my mind in comparison to all the other crazy things he said. So he fires it at the officer. Okay? Now, cognitive and motor functions are, can be adversely affected by alcohol consumption. There's no doubt about it. That's why they have a .08 to drive a car. He's over that. So, listen, I don't know. Maybe Rayshard Brooks is a, is a varsity drinker. Who knows? Maybe he can handle his booze. But for whatever reason, he made some really dumb decisions. You know, there's an old saying, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. You'll hear me say that from time to time. He won the ultimate stupid prize today. And I don't say that uh, lightly. He lost his life. The man lost his life. He lost his life because of the decisions he made. He precipitated the actions and the reactions of the police in this particular case. So, that's pretty much what happened there. First aid, he dies in the hospital. Let's go for a little bit like we normally do on these to the media, because that's really the reason I bring this case up is the reaction afterwards. This is not an unusual case. This happens from time to time. It's sad to say, but it does. People resist. They do dumb things. They end up getting themselves hurt or killed. Sometimes the officer gets hurt or killed. So either way you look at it, it's a tragedy, but it, they do happen. It's, uh, it, it's sad, but true. So now when we talked about the Amount arbury case earlier on, we talked about the mayor of Atlanta because she decided to chime in on a case that she had nothing to do with. But today is August 12th. And it's important that I give you that date and for a number of reasons. One is the mayor of Atlanta whose name was named Keisha Lance Bottoms. She was a hopeful for a vice-presidential uh, selection by Joe Biden and the Democratic ticket. She didn't get it. Yesterday, he announced a different uh, VP running mate, Kamala Harris, who also was in the Ahmad Arbery case running her mouth as to what she thought w- with knowing nothing about it. So Keisha Lance Bottoms, now this is her city, so she does have a place here to say something. So I want to talk first, though, about the general media, and some of the things that they came up with, which were amazing. Um, one, uh, I don't know much about this, the Hill, the police shooting of Rayshard Brooks, an unarmed black man who was killed by a local police after being found asleep at a drive through at Wendy's in Atlanta, has been ruled a homicide, Fulton County Medical Examiner Office said. Listen to that headline. And tell me that's not misleading. The police shooting of Rayshard Brooks, an unarmed black man, false. Okay. I mean, he is a black man, but he is armed. Who was killed by local police after being found asleep. If I don't know anything about this case, I look at this and go, wow, the police just walked up and shot a guy in his car for sleeping. I mean, that's kind of messed up. And that goes from there. And so, so you're Your your confirmational bias by the media shines through again. The unethical, unprofessional manner in which they report is on full display. The uh, New York Times, who's always good for some uh, crazy uh, story, here here they they do what they do what this is awesome. They do what's called a uh, we do a an investigative. What the the name of this thing? They have a unit. (laughs) <laughs> it sounds like a uh, the visual investigations team in other words they take videos none of them have any investigative experience none of them have any law enforcement experience or anything like that but they do a, a visual investigation they start giving you feet apart the they were and uh, all kinds of all kinds of crazy stuff that would never hold up in court but um, they they bring a uh, they bring they have a statement the most amazing statement I've seen they talk about Mr. Brooks runs away holding Officer Brosnan's taser. Rolfs gives chase and continues to try to stun Mr. Brooks. Then they write, the security camera footage at Wendy's shows Officer Rolfe chasing Brooks. Uh, while being chased and in full stride, Mr. Brooks looks behind him. This is, this is the media part. Points the taser he's holding and fires it. So listen, they just gave you a bit of truth. He's got the firearm, and he fires it. Notice I keep saying firearm. That's legally what it's called in Georgia. And legally is all that matters here. Now, this is the most amazing statement by the New York Times. The flash of the taser suggests that Mr. Brooks did not fire it with any real accuracy. Think about that. Who sat down at their keyboard and said, what's our next line? Well, let's put the flash of the taser suggest that Mr. Brooks did not fire with any real accuracy because that means you know like he didn't really mean it. He was just he was just messing with you. Just maybe trying to you know scare you a little bit. I don't know whether they use the taser flash trajectory analysis method, but that's the dumbest statement I've ever seen in any one of these incidents by a media outlet. That, that's just ridiculous. You are sw- trying to sway your reader. And it's completely unprofessional. Um, When you get into some of the city of Metro Atlanta public officials, let's get back to Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor. Let's just start by saying she immediately, and when I say immediately, the next day, maybe that night, I don't know when she actually first said it, but it was like within a day. It was made public. She called for Rolf to be fired. Fire him. This is, this is unjustified. All right. Now, full disclosure, Keisha Lance Bottoms a lawyer. I think she was a judge or a, at least a prosecutor, right? So she, she knows better than to say that. She knows better. People say, well, yeah, but she was a lawyer. She knows. No, no. What she should know is to not say anything along those lines. Now, you are the mayor of the city. You are expected to give a statement. I understand that. Give the statement. Say there's an investigation underway, because at that time, Atlanta PD had requested the Georgia Bureau of Investigation to come in and handle this. Fulton County, they handle all use of force cases in Fulton County. So, GBI is going to handle it. These people are good, really good. They got it. Let them work. The safest thing you could say as a mayor is, there was an incident. It's very unfortunate. The GBI has been called in. They will be handling this, and we'll make a statement when we know more. Nice and easy. Nice and easy, and truthful. Amazing, right? Nice, easy, truthful. No. She actually makes a really uh, interesting comment. Let me read this to you. This is at the uh, what is it, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution or whatever. I think it's a newspaper, the AJC. She, quote, While there may be debate over whether this was an appropriate use of deadly force, I firmly believe that there is a clear distinction between what you can do and what you should do. I do not believe this was justified use of deadly force and have called for the immediate termination of the officer. Okay. Wow. Wow, did you overstep your bounds. So, but you gave it away. In the first statement, you gave it away, Miss Bottoms, Miss Lance Bottoms, Mayor. You said it was justified. You just let it out. Your legal background actually did come through here. While there may be a debate over whether this was an appropriate use of deadly force. So she's already admitting, like, look, there's some people saying this was fine. There's some people saying they're not. But the next one, I firmly believe that there is a clear distinction between what you can do and what you should do. She knows he could do it. She knows legally this was okay. This was a justified use of deadly force. She kind of says it right there, but she just wishes he didn't. In other words, I know you were allowed to do it, but I kind of wish you did something else. And then she goes on to give the political crap. To the family of Mr. Brooks, there are no words strong enough to express how sincerely sorry I am for your loss. Okay, I got no problem with that. I do hope that you will find some comfort. This is where it gets stupid again. I do hope that you'll find some comfort in the swift actions we have taken today. What action is that? Firing the guy without an investigation? Swift actions we have taken. And the meaningful reforms that our city will implement on behalf of the countless men and women who have lost their lives across this country. I read that as she's talking about the countless people that the police have killed. It's not countless, actually. It's not even that many when you, when you look at the numbers compared to crime rates and whatnot. Sincerely, I'm sorry for your loss. Great line. End it right there. When you say, I hope you find comfort in our swift actions, swift, anybody that does major criminal investigations, homicides, police-involved shootings, understand one thing, and they understand it well. These are not swift. This has to be, this has to be looked through. So she's not talking about an investigation. She's just talking about her knee-jerk reaction. I hope you're happy that I fired him. And I hope you're happy that the chief of police stepped down. So you had a white female police officer, chief. She quit. She just bailed. But what I find really bizarre about and this is why this case is so interesting, there's a lot of bizarre little things, and we're going to get into the most bizarre when we talk about this district attorney. The police chief bails out. But she gets another job in the city. So what was that? Was that somebody asking her, look, we got to put a black person in. So you got to step aside because we need to try to maintain civil rest here. We can't have everybody burning things down. So for some reason she left or maybe in truth, in her defense, maybe she just said, you know what? I'm not cut out for this. This kind of national attention thing is not my thing. I'm, I'm punching out. And they, and they hooked her up with another job. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you right now, your name was Shields, I believe, Chief Shields. You are not a leader, okay? I'm going to throw that right out at you. You are not a leader. You quit. You quit on your people. You bailed out. Sorry, that's just how it goes. You punked out when they needed you. You were, should have been the voice of reason. You're the one that wore the uniform, took the oath. You're the one that knows that this is not swift. You're the one that knows there's due process. Keisha Lance Bottoms knows what due process is. She's a lawyer. She chose to ignore it and try to persecute people in the media. It's pathetic what what happened there. Absolutely pathetic. And they should all be ashamed of themselves for it. But let's get back to the investigation part of it because GBI is doing their job. And it's starting to look like GBI kind of gets the leaky bag every time something down there happens. Somebody takes a swing at it, politicians getting involved, and then GBI has to come in. But this case takes it to a different level. This, this is crazy. Okay, so, yeah, Erica, police chief Erica Shields, she bailed out. I wanted to make sure I got her name right. Now we get into the district attorney. Paul Howard is his name, and he has been a district attorney there since like the 90s. He's been around. This guy's not new to this. This is not a rookie mistake, and this is not rookie decision-making by this district attorney. So I would like to go through some of what he had to say, and again, like we always say here, you make your own opinion. I'm just going to give you some thoughts. I'm going to give you some facts, and you make up your own mind. Um, So GBI gets called in. They're going to work the case. It's a brilliant move. They're independent. They're objective. They're highly trained. They will bring an investigation to the DA's office. So it is underway. And under Georgia law, thirty-five three thirteen, GBI can be called in to assist. Once once uh, they are, in the event uh, th- thirty-five three thirteen subsection C. In the event Bureau acts in cooperation with a municipality or other political subdivision of the state, the services and records of such municipality or other subdivisions shall be accessible to the Bureau at all times. So they should have everything. They should be given everything to do their job by law. When you talk about what Paul Howard has done with this case, with the lives of two police officers, promises made to a family of a dead man, You have to scratch your head. He gave a press conference. And his press conference was something that is going to go down in history as what not to do. Now, people act, you know, we talked about uh, outrage being weakness in in past episodes and this and that. This isn't new. This is human nature. A lot of it is human nature. Uh, I recently read a pretty good book. It was called Liberty's Blueprint by Michael Meyerson, and he's a law professor. And what it is, the book itself, is how James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, wrote the Federalist Papers, defined the Constitution and, and whatnot. One of the things uh, Madison had wrote in Federalist Ten, which it's amazing, back then, how much of the documentation back then still holds true today. They basically said, motivations, this is from the book, According to their writings, the motivations for people's differing beliefs and their conduct can be divided into three broad categories. The most powerful and the most destructive of these is passion. Passion. So you can see in these cases we have, there's so much passion. People are reacting with outrage and passion. uh, And they write, the most destructive is passion, whereby a person's intellect is dominated by prejudice and emotion. The next is interest, which arises from rational but selfish considerations. Both passion and interest can be harmful to a civilized society. When Madison defined faction in Federalist Ten, he described citizens who were united by some common impulse of passion or of interest, which was opposed to either the rights of others or the interests of the community at large. So on the front part of what they wrote way back then, think about what they said. The passion and the interest. Okay, the city, some part of the city is outraged. The district attorney, uh, or I'm sorry, the mayor is outraged. She's firing people without any investigations or any inquiries. Now, the interest, that's the important part here. What's the interest? What interest does Paul Howard have in this event? Well, here it is. Paul Howard was in an election, in the midst of an election, where he did not win the majority. They had to do a runoff. They needed a runoff election. And that election was yesterday. Like I said earlier, it was August 12th. August 11th was the runoff yesterday. He lost. So he should be probably looking over his shoulder right about now for a certain Georgia three-lettered agency that's going to be looking at him, GBI. See, prior to this event, the district attorney was under investigation for misappropriation of funds, quite a bit of money. He was the target of a criminal investigation by GBI for something else. But he was in a runoff election with another former assistant DA who worked for him for many, many years. And he had to do something. He had to do something. I look at it like he had to do something to get the votes. He had to do something drastic. So what he does is he charges Officer Rolfe and Officer Brosnan. Charges Rolfe with felony murder. He grandstands, though, for a few days before he does it. And this is what he says. He talks about he's considering charges against the, the officers for the shooting of Rayshard Brooks. And when he does that, he says, The three charges being considered against Garrett Rolfe, the Atlanta officer who killed Brooks, include murder, felony murder, and voluntary manslaughter, Howard told CNN. Brooks, this is just blows my mind, okay? Brooks did not seem to present any threat to anyone. I'm just going to pause. Just take a minute. Take a sip of your coffee. I'm going to do mine. We'll have a sip and think about that, okay? He didn't, he didn't appear to be a threat to anyone? Are you out of your friggin' mind? What, what video did you watch, sir? Your behavior here is disgusting. He fought with the police officers. I ran down a long list of felonies. You don't need to be the greatest lawyer in the world to realize that he broke the law on many, many fronts here. He took a taser from them. Then he shot it at them. What do you think is going to happen? He didn't appear to be a threat to anyone. He says the fact that it would escalate to his death seems unreasonable. And he has this look on his face when he says this. It's like, you know, I'm I failing to understand. Rolf was then terminated on Saturday, and Howard detailed for CNN the nuances differentiating. Potential charges the former officer could face. So he didn't just leave it at the first stupid comment. He goes into this. There are really three charges that are relevant. One would be murder in the state of Georgia. That charge is a charge that is directly related to an intent to kill. That guy's quoting the law book, intent to kill. So you're going to get into the jury, uh, potentially, and into the mind of Officer Rolfe and say he intended to kill him, you're like you're going to be able to prove that. The second charge is felony murder, and that charge involves the death that comes as a result of the commission of an underlying felony. In this case, that underlying felony would be aggravated assault. Okay, so he's saying that the actual physical attempt to lawfully arrest Rayshard Brooks for DUI. And, and the subsequent attempt to subdue him from the violent resisting of arrest is aggravated assault. That means the police ag- committed aggravated assault on the suspect they're trying to get handcuffed. That, it might be time for another sip of coffee because that's just insane. I, I don't understand where he's coming with it, it. Sometimes people will say things that are so stupid and so out there that people actually believe it. I guess they just go, oh, okay. No they didn't assault him, folks. They're trying to arrest him. This is pretty cut and dry. He goes on to say then, but I believe in this instance, what we have to choose between, if there is a choice to be made, is between murder and felony murder. So <laughs> He's basically choosing, well, did Rolf really have the intentions to kill him that day, or did he just kill him after he assaulted him? The key to making that decision, he says, will be determining if the officers involved felt their lives were in danger. I mean, he's hitting some of the points here. He's just missing. He sees the baseball being thrown over the plate. He's swinging and missing like crazy. Quote, if that shot was fired for some reason other than to save Rolf's life or to prevent injury to him or others, then that shooting is not justified under the law. So he quoted the actual use of force, the justifications of deadly force, protecting himself, protecting others. It's just insane. So he ultimately charges them with a litany of charges. Rolf was charged with felony murder and 10 other offenses. Brosnan, with aggravated assault and two counts of violation of oath. So he gives this press conference, which we got to talk about because it's just magnificent. He gets up and calls for a press conference. He has levied charges against the officers. Okay. Okay there's an important part to this that I think we have to look at. You go back to what we were saying earlier about what Madison wrote in the Federalist Papers. He talked about the three, the three broad categories. I gave you two, right? Passion and interest. In contrast to passion and interest they write back then, which according to Madison is timid and cautious, reason, reason represents the culmination of logical thought combined with either a concern for the needs of others, or at the minimum, the recognition that one's own long-term interests requires such concern. Okay. See, reason is something that the district attorney here did not use. And I'm going back to Liberty's blueprint here, the Federalist Papers from way the hell back in time, right? Constitution era. Ratification. You, this is not new, folks. It's called use your head. It's called use reason, your ability to reason. You're a human being. You have the ability to reason. Sit down and look at this. What bothers me probably more than anything is it wasn't just Paul Howard, the DA. It was a legal team. There was other people that sat with him and went, yeah, no, yeah, uh-huh. Oh, yeah, no, they assaulted him. I don't think anybody with any, with any law enforcement background or legal background would look at this and say they assaulted him. I mean, they simply went to handcuff him. That was it. It was pretty cut and dry. So his whole legal team is lined up behind him. At this press conference. Now, they also have an interest. We go back to interest again. They need him to win or they're out of work because whoever's coming in is probably not keeping them. Not after a decision like this. So, 10 charges, right? Craziness. He, he begins his press conference by saying, talking about his investigation. Okay, here's the deal, folks. In the state of Georgia, you're the district attorney, you don't investigate the crime, you review the investigation. You try the case. You present it. You're not an investigator. GBI is the agency investigating. And they weren't done. They're still in the midst of their investigation. Where you decide to come up with the criminal charge or charges? And what you did is you had one of your investigators swear out the arrest warrants. We're going to talk about that in a little bit too. And since then, by the way, Many critics, legal critics in in Georgia, have called for an independent prosecutor. As of today, August 12th, he's done. He's out. So by the time you hear this, it goes through an edit and you hear it, there may be a lot of other changes in this case that I expect to see. And as far as the call for an independent, the attorney general had the authority under 1585, the appointment of substitute for an absent or disqualified district attorney, This, this is a conflict of interest here. This is, he's making comments and statements that are just insane. And, uh, you know, some of it's, some of it's going to make your head scratch. So he starts off, he says, we used witness statements and videos. I don't know where you got them. You're not doing the investigation. So I'm not sure really what you're doing, or you're sending people out to, to interview people, which you probably shouldn't be doing either. We're going to border on the obstruction of the administration of justice here. Now, some of you are going to argue, well, not really. He's a district attorney, he can do this. I don't know that he can. He maybe he can. But I can tell you what he can't do is bring people to trial before the investigation's done. That just doesn't happen. But he's trying to do that. Going back to his self-interest, remember interest, his passion and his interest. He needs to win the election. He's letting the political aspect of this start to steer his decision-making on criminal charges against police officers. He's affecting two men's lives because strictly because of politics. You can't, there's no way in hell you're going to make me believe that he did this because he really thought this was you know, a, a, a lawful arrest was an aggravated assault. I mean, he's stretching every part of this like a rubber band. So he used these um, witness statements and videos. Now, he says, we received preliminary autopsy and preliminary ballistics. I don't know why an attorney would say that. You're not going to make, you're not going to try to indict or charge until you have the actual reports. Don't give me your preliminary crap. You're not going to do that. It's just, that's just irresponsible and and pretty dumb for him to say it, actually. So he's saying, we've received the preliminary autopsy, preliminary ballistics. And then he starts giving statistics. Well, he gives some other statements. We have conducted a canvas of the area. Who? Who did that? You? That's not your job. We've inspected the crime scene. It's not your job either. We inspected the Chevy Trailblazer. That's the car that hadn't been shot in the bumper or whatever. Um, and then he says, we began our investigation at 1.15 a.m. on Saturday morning and have been working around the clock since that time. So he's trying to speak to his constituents now. He's, you know, we, we're working tirelessly, tirelessly for this. And we examined the taser evidence. I don't know where he's getting any of this stuff and who's making it available to him. Because it's clearly not his job. Remember, folks, you cannot be the finder of fact and then turn around and be the trier of fact. It kind of eliminates that check and balance objectivity, maybe even due process. You can't do both. That's why we have a system where the investigators investigate and they present to the DA, and the DA reviews it, and they may say, we need to tighten this up, or we need to tighten this up, or we don't have it, or we do have it, we're ready. That's the legal decision. That's, that's where the objectivity, that's where the check and balance comes into play. Mr. Howard completely removed it. And he removed it without the knowledge of the actual investigating agency, which we'll talk about. So he, invest, he uh, examined the taser evidence. I don't know what Paul Howard knows about tasers, and I don't know what he concluded from that. But he does make uh, a comment later on how many shots can be fired from a taser. So he makes a pretty crazy statement about that. He makes a point of saying this, which is obviously untrue, or at least part of it's untrue. In reaching our conclusions, we've worked with GBI and APD, meaning Atlanta PD. GBI, right after this press conference, issues a press release, which I'll talk about, that completely contradicts what the DA says here. He goes on to give some statistics. Now, tell me who he's speaking to or why this is relevant. He says, uh, before I begin, this is the fourth time arrest warrants were issued before an indictment. It's an issue. There was no sitting grand jury. So he, you know, just arrested people. There was no grand jury in session, probably due to COVID and everything else. But down there, it's an issue. And it has been called out to him. So he wanted to say that. Well, we've done it before. It's the 40th prosecution, he says, of police officers for misconduct in our county. It's the ninth time we prosecuted a homicide case committed by a police officer eight of which were against black males, and one of them was was against a black female. So he's throwing race. Here's the problem with that. That's something you'd expect to see on CNN or MSNBC or a major news network, you know, ABC, CBS, whatever. It's not something you would expect to hear from a professional, from somebody who's supposed to be an officer of the court who is objective, who is not attached to this case who has no interest other than the pursuit of justice. So he's throwing out racial stats because he's speaking to his constituents, the voters. He has a runoff election coming up on the 11th of August. So he is ramping this up. He's basically telling people, I know you're upset. I'm going to take care of it. Watch what I'm going to do. So when you start to throw that in, you have an issue. And he did. He goes on to make some other crazy statements. He said, uh, let me get it right, because it's it's actually a bit comical when you get into how he described, he decides to describe Rayshard Brooks and, and his behavior. And he actually almost sounds like he's his buddy, and he's he's, uh, he's, he's making everything okay. And, and you, you, you're kind of scratching your head going, well, what? I don't think you can really do that here. He talks about how he was cooperative and how he uh was peaceful. He even says at one point he was um he was jovial. You know, he says at the beginning he was peacefully sleeping in his car. Yeah, okay. See, this is a problem because you're leaving some shit out, sir. He's peacefully sleeping in his car in a drive-through. Okay? There's people behind him, people in front of him, people that run the store that are trying to sell hamburgers. So he's not peacefully sleeping in his car. He's sleeping in his car in a drive-thru. You left the part out that he's, you know, he's in a public thoroughfare. He says, without resisting, he presented his driver's license. Oh, well, that's big of him. He's supposed to do that. Let's not pat him on the back for things he's lawfully supposed to do. Then he goes, Mr. Brooks never displayed any aggressive behavior during the first 41 minutes and 17 seconds. I mean, he actually says 41 minutes and 17 seconds. What he's referring to there is Brosnan's initial response Up to and including the field sobriety tests. And he this is this is great like statement analysis stuff right here. Okay. So he says, Mr. Brooks never displayed any aggressive behavior during the 41 minutes and 17 seconds. And then his next line he says, after he was shot, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Anybody that interviews and interrogations knows omission is an indicator of deception. He's deceiving you. The district attorney is being deceptive and he's doing it intentionally. So he never displayed any aggressive behavior during this 41 minutes. And he wants to say 41 minutes because he wants to say this took too long. This is a long time, blah, blah, blah. And then after he was shot, wait a minute, did, did anything happen? I'm just curious. Like if I'm the, an innocent bystander, I go, wow. So he fell asleep in a car and they talked to him for 41 minutes and then they shot him. What happened in between? Oh yeah, that's right. There's this violent struggle and punching and stealing of a taser. And shooting a taser at the police. This is the district attorney, folks. This is not a six o'clock news anchor trying to spin a story. This is the guy that is sworn an oath, right, to be objective. And he's not. This was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Um, in the way he handled this and, and his statistics that he gave. A lot of people in the area have called for an independent prosecutor to be put in in his place. In the meantime, they didn't because of this election was coming up and they knew it was going to carry out. GBI, after this just ludicrous press conference, comes out. The head of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation put out a statement through their press people. said his announcement, meaning Howard's announcement of the charges came as a surprise to GBI. He says, but GBI still intends to complete its probe of the Brooks shooting. We were not aware of the charges. We were not aware of the press conference. And we're not done. And that was done very quickly and very, very smart move by GBI. They're saying, "Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We had nothing to do with this. We're, we're, we have not recommended any charges as of that, at that point. We're still doing this, which begs the question, why would he do this? Why wouldn't you wait? You are the elected district attorney of a busy county. It's not like you don't get cases. It's not like you don't know what happens here. You don't know the process. You know the process. And some of the attorneys in the area started kind of flipping out and they're asking for a special prosecutor. And there was another uh, Fulton County uh, attorney. Uh, His name was Philip Holloway. He was quoted in in the... in the media. He's a Cobb County attorney and a legal analyst. He, was questioned, he questioned why the DA went to a family court judge to get the arrest warrant signed. Why wouldn't he go to a criminal court judge? And his quote is, it might be more difficult for the prosecutor to get, in, to get a seasoned criminal judge to issue a warrant without asking a few more questions. And he says, let me add this, Judge Reeder is a lame duck. She's only been a judge since 2018 with no apparent criminal law experience. So why her? Why would DA Howard seek her out for the arrest warrants? Um, in this case, he said, I think it would have been appropriate for a judge when presented with this warrant application to say, hey, wait a minute. There's a lot going on here. And maybe we need some more information. And he says, you know, judges aren't supposed to be rubber stamps for anybody. Even the Atlanta interim police chief, Rodney Bryant, after the other one bailed out, Rodney Bryant was put in, he said in a news conference, he supports the plan, uh, uh, the officers of the Atlanta Police Department. Good for him. Well, he wants swift justice. Bryant said, understanding the disciplinary. Process must be adhered to. We encourage due process for those we encounter as well as for ourselves. That is a good statement. That's that's not a bad statement. I don't know what he's like as a guy. I don't know what they think of him down there, but at least he talked about due process. Asked when the chief was asked if the DA informed before the charges were filed against his officers, Brian said, "I was surprised." So the district attorney told nobody else about this. He just went about and did it. Now. He is, like I said, the target of a criminal investigation by GBI. In addition, there's been other criticisms of him. He has 43 open police use of force cases on his desk uh, that Fox 5 Atlanta had done a, a report on. And they looked back since 2016, nearly four dozen police use of force cases that he has to either prove or make a decision on going back to 2016. He hasn't done anything with him. But he did something with this one really quick. And the mayor... Was, was, was culpable in that as well, calling for firings. So um, five days after the shooting, he does this. He criminal charges, and he's got some cases that are four years old. Now, he makes this statement about GBI, and I know some GBI people, and they're going to be pissed when they hear this. Some of them probably already did hear it. He blames the delay on complicated cases of, of some of the other cases, lack of video cameras in many cases, and officers who refuse to testify. This is his backlog of cases he's talking about. He said, Howard says, the GBI investigation is only background and wholly insufficient to reach legal conclusions. No, sir. That's not true. Actually, they are the investigating body. They are the ones that bring the culmination of the investigation to you. So it's not background. I mean, you do make legal decisions afterwards, but it's certainly not background. It's everything that you're going to make your decisions on. So for you to say that is condescending and unprofessional Because you are running your office a certain way, don't start throwing it out at everybody else. And, um, Vic Reynolds has obviously stood up for, he's the director of GBI. He stood up for his people and, um, he knows what they're doing. He knows how hard it is when you're, you know, and I can, I can actually attest to this. When you're with an agency that has to go in and investigate other agencies, it's a difficult thing. We've done that here and it's, it's not you know, it's an away game, to say the least. And you got to go in there and, and you, you got a lot, of, you get a lot of people looking at you kind of, you know, like you're the enemy in a, in a way, but you're not. And um, so his opponent, who is running, and uh, I don't know whether she, I guess she won, Fannie Willis. She would worked for Howard for 16 years and she believes plenty of the use of force cases that are sitting on his desk could have been closed in less than 90 days. She says there are some complex ones and they take longer. She says, quote, the heart of this is not making a decision. The heart of this is not wanting something that is maybe maybe politically not popular. But at some point you have to do what's right. Well, at every point you gotta do what's right. But she's absolutely right. So if Miss Willis, if you won, the heart of this is not making a decision, the heart of this is not wanting to do something that may be politically not popular. And that's kind of what he's doing right now. He's he's going for the popular political thing. So Let's talk about the arrest warrants real quick. So, he doesn't have GBI swear out arrest warrants, right? He doesn't have APD. He doesn't have anybody who's with a police department or state investigation agency. What he does is he has one of his investigators do this. So, he went to a family court judge because he couldn't go to a criminal court judge, right? Because they might ask questions and he needs this done. So, what does he do? He has one of his investigators. So, Georgia code again, 15. 18-14.1, investigators, qualifications, powers, compensation. These are investigators under prosecuting attorney's offices. So, subject to the provisions of this code section, the district attorney in each judicial circuit is authorized to appoint one investigator to assist the district attorney in the performance of his or her official duties in the preparation of cases for indictment or trial, Okay. One Now, there's other assistant DAs, and these are busy counties, so there's other investigators. I get that. They have to get approval for them. Now, under subsection C, no person appointed pursuant to this code section shall exercise any of the powers or authority which are by law vested in the office of sheriff or any other peace officer, including the power of arrest, except as may be authorized by law. An investigator appointed pursuant to this code section shall, one, serve as a liaison between the DA and the sheriff's or other law enforcement agency, two, assist victims and witnesses of crimes through complexities of the criminal justice system, three, assist attorneys within the district attorney's office in the preparation of cases for preliminary hearings, four, assist the sheriffs and other peace officers with the judicial circuit in the application of warrants so under 4 you have to assist them you can't do it yourself provide such other number 5 provide such other assistance to the sheriffs or other peace officers as may be authorized by law which may be mutually agreed on 6 perform such other duties as are required by the district attorney now he may try to hang his hat on number 6 but he can't do what he did i don't think uh, they're going to argue that. This is going to be an issue, that you had your investigator swear out arrest warrants on a police officer, one, without the cooperation of the actual investigating entity, which is the GBI. It's not agreed upon at all. You can't, you're really only supposed to be doing the preparation of cases, and you're only supposed to really serve as a liaison. And right there in, sub, in subsection C title, you can't exercise any of the powers or authority which are vested in the office of the sheriff or a law enforcement peace officer. So what they're looking at here, I bet, is that he overstepped his bounds legally in doing this. And then you have to ask why that happened. And the reason why that happened is, you know, it's gonna be pretty clear. He did it because he had an election coming up and he needed to appease his voters. When this pans out, and you know this could be panning out today as I'm as I'm recording this, I really don't know. I'm gonna predict that these charges get amended or dropped. I don't think it's going to happen. As far as what we term a good or clean shooting or a justified shooting, this is pretty justified, folks. Uh, this is what I do for a living. I've done it for a long time. I don't see this as a murder. I actually don't see it as being even close to anything that resembles a murder. It's certainly not felony murder. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. What I'd also see, in, in, in addition to the, whatever that financial crime was that uh, the district attorney was involved in that he was already being investigated for, I see the GBI may be looking at him here for overstepping his bounds. Something under Title 45, malfeasance of office. In other words, he made a decision. He made a decision that he knew was wrong and he made it for a selfish reason, for political gain. This could, this could be something that they look at. I don't know where they're going to go with it. It might be the kind of thing where you lost the election, you know, and they say, look, don't go away mad, just go away. And it all goes. And they just focus on the financial crime. But this, I'm going to tell you, I don't see a jury convicting them of murder. I actually don't even see it getting to a trial. If it does, I'll be stunned. But it could happen. Crazier things have happened. But in the end, if if um, if this gets dropped, watch for these two police officers to sue the ever living daylights out of both the city of Atlanta for terminating them, wrongful termination. And they'll go for that anyways. I don't know if they'll get it, but they'll also sue the DA's office for Fulton County for wrongful prosecution and, um, and a violation of their rights. This is, this is a, I, I wanted to bring this case up with you today because there's so many weird things that went on what started as a very routine DUI arrest turned into a violent struggle on the ground, which turned into a use of deadly force, which turned into a political corruption case. And the individual, Paul Howard, the district attorney, has embarrassed himself, in my opinion, and embarrassed the office of the district attorney for Fulton County. And everybody that stood behind him on the day of that press conference, you're to blame as well. Because none of you seem to have stand up, stood up to him and said, no, 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 no. This is insane. Forget it. Let's just focus not even just on a charge if you want to charge. You have to wait until you know the facts and you didn't know all the facts. So you have to, like we said in all these other cases, you got to let the investigation work itself out. It may take a little time. Some of them are quicker than others, but it has to go through the process. The process may not be perfect, but it's the best one in the world. I can tell you that. And you can't jump to conclusions and you can't start dropping charges on people without knowing what really happened and knowing the answer to all the questions or at least exhaust all means to find out those answers. Again, we're here to just bring you a little bit of, well, sometimes some levity and uh, some of the facts that you're not hearing about in the news. I'm here to point out some of the tactics by the news and some of the ways they persuade, or or they kind of go after things, and how ridiculous it can be sometimes. The other thing is to give you enough information to make your own decision. All right, we're not here. I say this every time. I'm going to always say it. We're not here to change your mind. We're here to open your mind a little bit, make your own decision. Okay, don't let the media make it for you. In that world, you become the sheep. So, think about this case. Watch for uh, upcoming twists and turns in this one. Cause I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I want to thank you again for uh, joining us and, uh, we'll talk soon.